0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Learner's Corner Podcast. This is the podcast for lifelong learners, where we learn from anything and everything. My name is Caleb Mason. And my name is Todd Dixonball, a.k.a. the Father. And we have a great episode for you today. Today, we are talking with Matt Dix, and we are talking with him about storytelling.
1: Which is basically what both of us do.
0: And I absolutely love this interview, and we're going to get into a little bit more detail about
1: that a little bit later but before we do that, Todd I'm Uh-oh. a little bit tired today. Uh oh So Caleb just came off of two weeks of being at camp Back I've, to back Back to back I've come off of two weeks ago VBS, follow up was all this week So we're, we're, we're tired A couple weeks ago I was at camp Caleb, am I bringing the energy today or are you? You Dang Just it. as always Dang it I'm terrible at bringing energy <laughs> But we do have
0: a great resource for this Uh-oh.
1: week. What's our resource of the week, Caleb? This
0: resource of the week is a podcast episode that I listened to a few weeks ago. Go figure. From Carrie Newhoff. Go figure. Where he interviewed Danielle Strickland. Oh that, oh gosh. Yeah. Now, some of you you may be familiar with Danielle. She is one of the best communicators. She's phenomenal specifically whenever it comes to telling stories and so we just yep. i just figured we'd keep on theme today and if you want to learn how to tell better stories yep. listen to danielle
1: listen to her podcast she got a podcast out um that that she does so that'd be a phenomenal what's her podcast thing to listen to uh i forget what it's called i don't know i don't have we'll a link to it mean. in I'll the tell you show about notes. It later so
0: yeah. to learn about better stories listen to danielle's episode with carrie newhoff also, Uh-oh. listen to this week's episode with Matt Dix. One of my favorite things about this and about his book, Storyworthy, as well, is that he gets super specific into the minutiae of telling stories to where a lot of people are just kind of general whenever it comes to, to telling stories. He gives some really practical tips on how to tell better stories.
1: And I I mean, whenever I read it, so I pretty much on a weekly basis, um, I'm in elementary school school. Um, pastor person so I tell stories every weekend this I'm telling you his book helped me so much in thinking about stories it's not just you're not just trying to communicate the information it's how you're doing it and he gives such specific examples I don't want to spoil the book but I would just say that if you are in any way a person who on a regular basis is telling stories or even just communicating you could be you could be preaching a sermon you could be um, maybe communicating with your staff I would definitely recommend this book because it helps so much in learning how to craft things in such a way that make them memorable and that make them so that people want to continue to come back over and over again and listen to what it is you have to say. And so
0: here is our conversation with Matt Dix. Well, Matt, we're so excited to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today to talk about your new book. Thanks so much for having me.
2: I'm excited to be here.
0: You know, with just writing your book and also being the co-founder of uh, Speak Up as well, we're just kind of curious, you know, what is it that makes you want to tell or want to help other people tell their stories?
2: Um, No, I think that when people can tell stories, real stories, like uh, authentic and vulnerable moments from their lives, I think we get closer. You know, a great example just happened to me last week. I was playing golf and someone joined our threesome. And, uh, I didn't like the guy at all. I, he was a stranger to me, but over the course of the first three holes, I was like, this guy's a jerk and nothing he says is anything I agree with. And then on the fourth hole, while we were waiting to tee off, he told me this like really oddly tender story about his cat and how it had had surgery recently. And he was like kind of crying in the waiting room. And I have two cats and I love my cats. And just in that moment, It changed for me. Now, I didn't agree with him in any way. I still thought he was wrong in many, many ways, but I didn't hate him anymore. He became a guy who I liked but disagreed with rather than a guy who I hated and disagreed with. I think that's the power of story. It just brings us together in a way and sort of strips out some of the some of the ugliness that I think exists in the world today and can can get us to communicate more effectively.
0: Yeah, it's amazing once. Like you were saying, once you hear someone's story, it radically changes things, you know, yeah, just your interactions with them and everything
2: exactly. I tend to think I'm a fundamentally unlikable person who tells a good story. And it really, my, if my wife was here, she would say that's not entirely true, but there is truth in what he says. Uh, but the stories are what get, gets me through life. It's what lets me play golf. I, I'm the worst golfer on the planet. Not only my bad, but I'm ugly to watch while I play. And yet I just got a text before this podcast saying, do you want to play golf today? Because people know when we go look for my ball 100 yards in the woods, you know, I'm going to entertain them, engage them, and connect with them on the way to look for the ball. And I think that's how I get through life and how a lot of people can get through life.
1: You you talk about stories and how you're, you know, you're a storyteller. What's one of your favorite stories to tell?
2: My favorite stories are about little moments. Uh, I'm one of these people who have led a very unusual life. I... Twice I've died and had paramedics bring me back to life. I was arrested and tried for a crime I didn't commit. I spent time homeless. And that's sort of the tip of the iceberg of nonsense that has been my life. And so most people expect that those are the stories I'm going to want to tell. But truthfully, the favorite story I have right now was just about two months ago, I dropped my keys leaving the gym and they landed on my foot. And before I could pick them up, a woman coming in the gym picked my keys up off my foot and put them in my hands. And it occurred to me, I would never pick up anyone's keys in any circumstances, no matter what, like I'm a jerk. And I reflected upon all the selfish things I had just done in the last hour and how a, how I'm really kind of a horrible human being and compared to this angel who did this thing for me. And then I just kept walking, not even expecting a thank you. And so those little stories are my favorite stories to tell rather than the time I died and came back to life, because I know those stories connect to people so much better. We're not gonna connect on a going through a windshield and dying on the side of the road life. You know, most people haven't experienced that. But I think we've all experienced moments where we realize I'm a selfish human being, or I'm not as good as I should be, or I'm not as good as I could be. And so I love those stories the best, the tiny little moments in our lives that I can turn into a story.
0: Why do you think it is that we gravitate towards wanting to tell the big stories? Because I even just think of, you know, my own life and my own communication, I feel like there is this tendency or like this pull to want to tell this big, amazing story um, over like the little, small, mundane things that happen every single day. Why do you think that is?
2: I think part of it is the movies. Like, we don't go to the movies to see little moments, we go to see dinosaurs and space battles and things like that. But what we don't notice when we're watching movies, really good movies, is that movies contain tiny moments within the larger moment. You know, one of my favorite examples is the first Indiana Jones movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark. If you think about the movie, it seems like a movie about whips and snakes and you know Nazis. But really, if you examine the movie closely, it's really a story about a man who doesn't have faith in God at the beginning of the movie. He's a, he's a scientist, and when the government comes to him and says, what's the Ark of the Covenant? He dismisses it religiously and just identifies it as an artifact he would like to find. And at the end of the movie, as they're about to open it, he tells the girl he loves, close your eyes. And he closes his eyes, even though he spent his whole life wanting to see what's inside it. At the moment of truth, he closes his eyes because suddenly he believes that there's religious power in this artifact and all the Nazis' faces melt in that bad CGI moment. (laughs) But that's what the story is really about. And that's why I think we leave that movie and think that's a good movie. We can't really identify on a conscious level why we love it so much. But... I think movies hide little moments in big moments, but we only see the big moments and think that we need sensationalism to hold someone's attention when what we really just need to do is to learn how to tell an effective story about something as simple as dropping your keys on your shoe and having a woman pick them up.
1: Hmm. I guess I, as I'm listening to you say that, I'm, I'm thinking about my own communication style as I teach and, and do different things and, and all that. How is it that we can begin to to kind of bake that in? Um, what you were just talking about, where where you're telling these sim- more simple concepts within the, the construct of a larger theme? Well, I think there's two things we have to do. The first is we have to recognize them. Because I think things like keys falling on your shoe
2: and a woman picking them up for you is something that happens to people every day, but they don't notice it. Or if they do notice it, they let it pass by. You know, they might have a moment of exceptional gratitude. Like, wow, that woman did that thing for me. I don't think I would have done that. And then they move on with their life. And they're in the grocery store and they're at home dealing with their kids and they're, you know, they're doing their work and they don't take a moment to reflect upon the fact that that was a moment of meaning. And even if they realize it was a moment of meaning, they don't record it in any way. They don't like sort of cement it in their brains and think about turning it into something that someone would want to hear. So I think seeing those moments and then finding a way to like hold on to them is critical to being able to then turn those moments into stories. And then just the idea of self-reflection moving through your life and be thinking about how you're interacting with people, how you're changing in fundamental ways. It's a thing that I've really um, trained myself to do so that every day I'm looking at my life through the storytelling lens and asking myself, my daughter just said something beautiful to me. Is that something someone else might wanna hear? How did that change me? How does that change the way I look at the world? Questions I'm constantly asking myself.
1: You just said something interesting about how you, you kind of cement them into your into your mind. Um, stories and things like that what is your method for capturing stories and for remembering them and for being able to, to go back and reference them are you writing them down what do you, what's your process look like for that well to find
2: stories i do something that i call homework
1: for life which is essentially a
2: larger topic than what i'm going to describe here but what i do is every night i sit down and i ask myself what was the most story worthy moment of my day which is what is the moment from today that makes it different than any other day and then I write that moment down, but I don't write the whole thing down because that's a, those are called journalers and those are special breeds of people that I don't think many, you know, many of us can uh, attain that level of insanity. But what I do is I just take Excel, the, the spreadsheet program, and I've got two columns. On the left column, it's the date. And on the right column, I stretch it to the edge of my computer. And in that column, I allow myself to write what the story was. So if it was keys on the shoe, it said, you know, leaving Jim dropped keys on shoe, woman picked up, I realized how selfish I am. And that's all I would do. That's the extent of collecting that story. I do it every single day without fail. And over time, what I've developed is this lens for storytelling, where I see these moments so clearly, and then I'm able to capture them. I don't write any of the stories out that I tell, although most people do. Almost every storyteller I know actually does the writing But because I'm a novelist as well, I think my narrative voice might be a little different than my spoken voice. My wife says I'm just lazy. And that's why I don't write it out. Um, But I do all the work in my head. I I plan stories out in my head. I sort of speak them aloud until I find something that I'm happy with. And then I record them uh, on my phone. And then I go tell them somewhere. And oftentimes they get recorded during the telling. And then I have that recording. So even if it's even if I tell a story and then three years later someone asks me to tell that same story in a new show, I can listen to it a couple times and it's right back in my head, and I can then take the stage and tell it. But most people write their stories out, and there's nothing wrong with that as well.
1: I wonder, I wonder too about about with that. You're talking about how you you, you record these things down. Where do you where do you? So it's just looking in your life to find these stories, or do you do anything else to be able to find these stories? I know you talked about how you. Think through, th- think through your day, but I've heard people talk about how, you know, they're constantly watching and looking, even like if they're walking through the mall, about how they see advertising or people trying to tell stories. Is there anything else that you do to kind of pay attention, maybe to other sources for how other people are telling stories?
2: Well, I think listening to other people's stories triggers stories in my own life. I, I was at a moth story slam in New York uh, a few months ago and a woman was telling the story of her teenage bulimia. And in, the part of the, in part of the story, she talked about putting a spoon down her throat to try to get herself to throw up, and she swallowed the spoon. And I don't support props on stage during storytelling, but she brought the x-ray, and it was a really good prop to look at. It was freakish to see that spoon inside her. But as soon as I heard her tell that story, I turned to my buddy and I said, Hey, when I was a kid, I swallowed a penny. And then I called the operator to ask if I was going to die because I couldn't depend upon my parents because they were terrible. And that became a story that I then took to the moth and won a championship with. Uh, And that was just the process of being open and listening to other people. And I think when we listen to stories, memories are triggered. And then we can find stories again in our own lives. So I just think being a good listener and being attuned to what other people are saying and opening the door to other people and letting them speak. I think very often storytellers are people who want to fill all the spaces with their own words. And the best storytellers are listeners first. They want to hear what other people have to say and see what they can do with that material before they start, start speaking themselves.
0: Matt, whenever it comes to society, whether it's sports or culture or whatever it might be, or movies, what do you think is one of the most intriguing stories that is happening right now? Uh,
2: well, I think for me, the most intriguing story is the division that's taking place really in our country right now and how we're not really listening to each other. I think that sadly, it's really become a winner take all. It sort of doesn't matter what the story is. My team has to win. Mm -hmm. And I'm only going to craft a narrative that allows my team to win rather than listen to the other side. I work with politicians now, uh, teaching them to tell stories. And the goal with all the politicians I work with is to find a story that will reach across the aisle, whatever aisle you happen to be on, a story that will communicate with the other side. Because just like the guy on the golf course with the cat, I think if we can just be honest and authentic and accept the fact that we're not always correct, And speaking highly of ourselves is really not the best form of communication in the world. And being open to discussing our foibles and our flaws and our mistakes, I don't think a lot of that is happening today. And so it breaks my heart, really, when I watch what's going on uh, politically in the world and how we're so divisive instead of looking for ways to agree. I think Reagan said once that if he could get 60 percent of what he was looking for, he considered that a win. And, you know, I wasn't an enormous fan of Ronald Reagan, but every day I become more of a fan of Ronald Reagan because that was just the time when we were willing to accept 60% of something as a victory and to allow other people to have, you know, a small victory as well. And I just don't see that happening today. And I think it's because we're not communicating effectively. We're not allowing ourselves to listen to each other.
0: Whenever it comes to... Uh storytelling, what are common mistakes that you see that people tend to make whenever telling a story?
1: Well, it's usually what,
2: what a story is. A lot of people believe that a lot of people don't understand what a story is. Uh, They often think that a story is a series of things that happen to me over the course of time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you might come home and someone says, how was your day? And my wife might say that to me and a lesser storyteller would just list the events of the day. Really what a story is, is a moment in our lives. It's a moment of realization or transformation. It's the moment a woman picks the keys up off your shoe and you think, oh my gosh, I'm a selfish person. Like I've done terrible things compared to what she just did. Or it's the moment a guy tells you about his cat on the golf course and you realize, I guess I don't hate this guy so much after all. I just (laughs) disagree with him, right? Those are moments of realization and transformation. It's not a litany of events that people often list. The classic example is someone says, let me tell you about my vacation. It turns out no one's ever wanted to hear the next sentence of that story. In the history of the world, like no one cares what you did in Bermuda unless while you were in Bermuda, You had always wanted to be a marine biologist and you went swimming with the dolphins and you realized you hated dolphins and the dreams of being a marine biologist are over because you think they're disgusting creatures. Like that's interesting. That would be a compelling story. So stories are about singular moments. And the purpose of the story is to bring that singular moment to the greatest clarity possible, rather than just listing some stuff that happened to me over the course of a night or the course of a day or a course of a vacation.
0: So I guess kind of on the flip side, you kind of talked about it as well as like the singular, singular moment being a key ingredient to telling a good story. What are maybe one or two other key ingredients to telling a good story or things to remember whenever telling a good story?
2: Well, I think the other thing that's really critical is what I call the frame of the story, which is choosing where you're going to begin and where you're going to end. Uh, the ending of the story is always that moment that I talked about, that singular moment, because it's the most important thing you're going to say. And after that, nothing else is as important and people stop listening. If you think of the first Star Wars movie, the the original one, Luke blows up the Death Star. That's the end of the movie. We get a brief throne room scene where Chewbacca doesn't get a, a medal, but everybody else does. It lasts 20 seconds. The movie's over. We understand when the Death Star blows up, we don't need to know anything else. That's often the case in our stories as well. The woman picks my keys up. She puts them in my hand. I realize I'm a selfish human being. End of story. Uh, I need to get out of that story as quickly as possible. I think a lot of people tell stories about singular moments, and then they just keep talking. Like my father-in-law has told me stories that he's still telling right now, even though he's 150 miles away. I think he's still in the process of telling me that story because he never knows where to end. And then finding the beginning is just as important, I think. So finding the beginning, it's often the opposite of the end. So, you know, if at the end of the story I realize I'm a selfish human being, I would never pick keys up off someone's shoes. The beginning of the story has to be something like, I'm not a selfish person. I'm feeling really good about myself. I'm an I'm an amazing person. And then you can see that transformation from an amazing person to someone who realizes he's not so amazing. So finding that frame is important. I compare it to an airplane quite often. If you can get if the pilot gets the plane off the ground, and the pilot lands the plane effectively, we're willing to forgive turbulence in in the middle of the flight, right? It can be really bumpy along the way, and nobody really cares. But if you have a bad takeoff or a bad landing, that really leaves you scarred. And I think storytelling is the same way. Find the right place to take it off. Find the right place to land it in the middle. If you're a little bumpy, that's going to be fine.
0: So whenever it comes to, you know, you kind of talked about how, how to land the plane. Whenever it comes to, like, getting the plane up off the ground, what are one or two things that you consider for how to start a story.
2: I like to start stories with forward movement. Uh, I compare stories to movies all the time because they're just movies that we create in the minds of our listeners. And if you start paying attention to movies, you'll notice that almost every movie begins with forward movement. The only exceptions are sort of like if you watch The Social Network and you have um, Jesse Eisenberg in an amazing dialogue with a woman, but you only get that if you get an amazing screenwriter. Most of the time, someone's moving. And so I love to start stories with forward momentum because they make the listener feel like, oh, we're already going like this, this. We're not waiting for this thing to get started. We're already in process. So I like that a lot. And I like to present within the first 30 seconds to the minute of the story, sort of what the idea of this story is. What's the problem? If you go to a movie, you watch a trailer and you always know, like, I'm going into a romantic comedy someone's not going to be in love and then they will be in love. I'm going to a Star Wars movie. The empire is going to be bad and we're going to try to stop the empire, you know. I'm going to a Jurassic Park movie. Dinosaurs will be trying to eat people. The good people will live at the end. But if I tell you let me if I say let me tell you a story, you really don't know what you're about to get. You know, I could be telling you something hilarious that happened last night or I could be telling you about the death of my mother. And I like to let you know within the first 30 seconds of a story where you are like what what's the landscape that we're dealing with here what's the problem that i'm going to be facing a lot of times i don't think storytellers do that i'm sure you've been in situations where people are talking and you're thinking where is this going like why is this person talking to me and eventually they get to the point and you go oh that's why we're here i don't want anyone to say oh that's why we're here i want them to know right away
1: can you give us an example of how you signal that i'm just curious Like you just come out and say, you know, this is what we're doing or is or do you do it? How do you do that? It's going to be much more subtle
2: uh, the way that I do it. You know, um, I try to let people know what a problem is, even if it's not the main problem of the story. So uh, I start stories like in the midst of um, I start a story that I use in workshops all the time with the tire blows out in my car, and I'm stuck in New Hampshire with no money and no gas. That's not actually what the story is about. It turns out I pretend to be a charity worker and go door to door knocking to collect money to get myself out of New Hampshire. Uh, it was a terrible decision I made at 19, and I knock on a door and eventually run into a man who, um, whose wife died five years ago. And I'm feeling lonely at the time, And then I discover that he's been alone for five years after his wife died of cancer. And I realize I'm not alone at all. Like I got buddies, you know, I'm going to get home and drink beer tonight. This guy's going to be alone for the rest of his life. That's sort of what the story is really about. But I give them the audience right away something to be thinking about. Oh, Matt's stuck in New Hampshire and he's got no gas and no money. I wonder how he's going to get home. I I just want them to start right away with an issue at hand. Um, So whatever the story is going to be, I'm going to be moving forward and pretty soon I'm going to at least present some type of a problem. It can be as simple as, I think I'm an amazing person. If I tell you at the beginning of a story, I'm an amazing person, your storytelling brain will tell you, oh, he's going to discover he's not an amazing person by the end of that story, (laughs) and you're going to know it, Uh, and that's good enough. That's all you really have to say at the beginning of a story is either prop yourself up in some way or present the, the obstacle in some way. So that people understand where we're going, what the landscape of that story is.
1: I just wanted to shift gears a little bit. Um, just I've read some of your stuff on your blog and things like that. You write a lot and there's tons and tons and tons of content, different all sorts of different different things that you, you you've written about and are probably writing about. How do you decide what content you want to put out? <laughs> uh, I'm very indiscriminate about the content that I put out.
2: Uh, My friend says that I live out loud, and that is sort of true. Uh, Any moment that comes into my head usually ends up on a page or out of my mouth. And occasionally that's gotten me into trouble, to be honest with you. But I've always felt that way. You know, when I was young, I used to hang around with really good-looking guys. And so if I wanted to get a girl, I knew I was never going to be as good-looking as Lenny Smith. Like he was just a beautiful man. But what I did discover is if I stood next to girls long enough and told stories about myself and my failings, like the stupid things I'd done within the last 24 hours, it made girls laugh. And if I could get them to laugh enough, they would stop looking at Lenny and start looking at me. And so somewhere along the way, I sort of just became enamored with the idea that I'm going to share everything. I'm gonna let everybody know what's out there in my brain and in my life, and I will let it stand as is. So basically, if it strikes my heart or it strikes my mind, it's going to either strike the page or come out of my mouth in some way. I don't know if this is always the best way to live, to be completely honest. And my wife is not always sure if it's the best way to live either. Uh, I think that discretion is usually better than, the indiscretion that I use in my life, but I've just always been one of those people that puts everything out there.
1: So I'm assuming that you made your wife laugh a lot then.
2: Yeah, actually someone asked my wife uh, just recently, they said, why did you first fall in love with Matt? And I didn't know the answer. I figured she was gonna say, I took one look at him and that was it, but no, she said, no, it's never been the way you looked. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was great to hear, Uh, but it was storytelling. She told me we went to dinner as friends one night, we went to Chili's, which is not a great place to take a first date, but we were just friends. And um, she asked me some questions, and I told her stories. And she said, listening to the stories, I realized you were different than anyone I'd ever met. And I realized I liked listening to you. I wanted to hear more. And she said, that was kind of the night I knew we were going to end up together.
1: That's crazy.
2: Yeah, isn't uh, it? Storytelling got me listen, my
1: wife. I'm taking notes over here, That's all. Uh, storytelling for dating is a big
2: thing right now i teach workshops all the time for storytelling and people come for every possible reason you could imagine and one of the reasons they come is it's always guys and it's because they can get a first date but whatever they say on the first date is so horrible that they can't get the second date and so (laughs) i teach them to tell effective stories that can get someone to
1: want to spend more time with them this is brilliant i got my (laughs) notepad out i'm listening.
0: Okay. So whenever it comes or I'm just curious, have you found, is there a difference between teaching and, you know, more like a classroom setting and then telling a story? And if so, what is that difference?
2: Sure. I mean, I've been teaching elementary school for 20 years. I tell a lot of stories in class, but if I'm actually trying to teach something or if I'm teaching storytelling to adults, Mm -hmm. there's actually a lesson involved. I want there to be a specific intellectual takeaway. You need to learn how to divide You need to learn how to start a story, these kinds of things. When I'm telling a story, there's no no lesson that I'm being explicit about. You'll never hear me in a story say, and the lesson I want you to take away from my story is, because I believe fundamentally stories are supposed to be entertaining and connective and supposed to open your heart and make you vulnerable to your audience, but not necessarily teach you anything. Now, if you take something away from my story implicitly, you learn something about yourself or the world through the process of being entertained and connecting to me, I think that's wonderful. But I would never um, imply that there's a lesson in a, in any of my stories, because I think if I say that, people don't want to hear it as much. You know, that's lecturing, That's that's sort of telling people that I know something you don't know and you need to know it. I have no problem telling 10 year olds that. I'll tell them that all day. I know how to divide and you don't. I need to tell you how to do this. But when I'm standing on a stage, or even if I'm at a cocktail party, or I'm at my in-law's house telling stories, I'm not looking to teach lessons. I'm telling you what I learned, but you don't necessarily need to take that lesson for yourself. And I think that brings people closer to you in a way that I think lessons don't.
0: So I'm just thinking for the person who's listening right now, maybe they're just starting to tell stories, just starting to communicate. What advice would you give them?
2: Well... First I would say do homework for life and I have a TED talk on it. So if you just if you go Google the word homework for life and my name, you'll find a 15-minute TED talk that will really give you some good information on how to do this process. Mm-hmm. It's the most important thing that I teach. I would rather hear the raw the right story told wrongly than the wrong story told well. And so often people are just telling the wrong stories. Homework for life will let you find the right stories to okay. tell.
0: Can you can you explain that a little bit why would you rather have someone tell the right story the wrong way versus telling the wrong story the wrong the right way
2: if someone's telling the wrong story what they're usually doing is they're telling a story that says something like i'm an amazing person i did an amazing thing and it all turned out amazing it turns out no one actually wants to spend time with that human being (laughs) ever like that is a horrible human being but that's
1: how i uh, have my relationship with caleb like i know i don't want to talk to you shut up todd
2: That that's That is the great majority of what people want to tell for stories. Or they want to tell the time they were drunk and did something stupid, which is, again, not really something a lot of people necessarily want to hear. There's a lot of stories that are like you had to be in the moment. Well, if you had to be in the moment, I wasn't in the moment. Please stop talking. I don't want to hear it. So if someone tells me, you know, the guy on the golf course did not tell me a good version of the cat story, you know, but he did open his heart and talk to me about his cat in a way that you just don't usually hear. I wouldn't qualify it as a wonderful story. I wouldn't say, "Wow, you crafted that narrative beautifully." But he chose the right thing to say. He decided to open his heart about a, a thing that most people would not and he made himself vulnerable. So, I would just rather hear that story than that guy tell me how he landed the big business deal, you know, he he closed the, you know, he closed that deal on Friday for his firm. That's what people that's what these guys on dates who come to me, I ask them Sort of, what did you tell the girl on the last date? And he'll say, like, I won the case. You know, I I, I crushed that corporation in, in the trial and I, I won $12 million for our company. That, that's not entertaining. That's called bragging. Like, at best it's bragging. <laughs> um, you know, I talked to a guy recently in my workshop. He told me, I said, what was the story you told the lady? Because he didn't get a second date. He told me something like that. He had closed the deal on Friday. And I said, what was the most embarrassing moment that you had happen over the last two weeks? And he told me, he said, well, I went to the bathroom at work and somehow like I got distracted while I was peeing at the urinal and I kind of peed all over myself. Like before I knew it, I had peed on my own pants. And he was like up against the dryer, the hand dryer, trying to blow his pants. But people were walking in. So then he had to pretend to be drying his hands and then the pants. And he couldn't get them dry. So he took his suit coat off and he tied it around his waist. He went to his office. He closed the door. He skipped lunch. His room, like his office smelled like pee for the rest of the day. And then at four o'clock, he went home and, you know, and was ashamed about what he had done. And I told him, if you had told that story on the date, I think you'd have a second date because you would have made the girl laugh. You would have expressed vulnerability. And frankly, I think there's more strength in being willing to admit you peed on yourself than there is to say, I won the case or I landed the big deal. Anyone can brag about themselves. It takes a truly strong person to say, I was in a men's room and I accidentally peed on myself. That is strength that I think people are attracted to. So so we tell those stories rather than the stories about our successes.
0: Okay, so do, do homework for life. What other advice would you give to someone just starting in storytelling? Oh, right. So I would
2: say start working on stories. And if you're going to work on a story, I always say choose a story that flows chronologically. So I tell some stories that sort of start at the end and then end at the end again. That's like ninja-level storytelling. Don't do that in the beginning. <laughs> <Ninja> um, level <laughs> Yeah, start with something that's very simple. Try to find a story that takes place over the course of an hour or two. Because you don't want to have to deal with time a lot when you're first crafting stories. So a simple, small story where nothing like impossible to imagine happens, and everyone's going to sort of understand everything that you're saying. Start with those stories and work on just getting those. And even if it's a one-minute anecdote that you're working on and you really want to get that anecdote perfect— So when someone asks you a question that you can answer with that anecdote, it comes out lovely. I would start working that way and then build up to those ninja level stories. Read my book that teaches you how to tell ninja level stories. But start simple. Start as simple as possible. Start with a key on the shoe story, which takes place over the course of five minutes of my life, which I tell over the course of five minutes on stage.
1: So to tell a ninja level, is this like a, to be ninja level, is this like, the belting system in like jujitsu or something like you you go from go from white belt to ninja level like what is ninja i just love this this is yeah i I haven't um i should get a belting system because then i could start selling them and make some money should this would be
2: interesting Uh, but i do think that there are some stories that are harder to tell you know if you're telling a story that takes place over the course of 20 years that's a hard story to tell now i have those stories we do have those stories in our lives where you know, over the course of 20 years, I want to share something that happened. But that's a hard story to tell. Also, any story that doesn't start at the beginning, you know, if it doesn't start like, you know, at 12 o'clock I was here and at one o'clock I was here. If you're starting somewhere in the middle of the story and doing some time jumping, all of that's going to be really tricky for people, too. And the more people you have in a story, the more complicated it's going to be. So if you couldn't find a story that is like you and one other person and you did some stuff that ended in a moment of real meaning, that's the story to start with. Um, The ninja level ones, you know, save them for after you've sort of mastered that simple story.
0: Well, Matt, we're getting ready to wrap up. And as we do, we always have a couple of questions that we love to ask people. And the first one is, what's one thing that you've started doing recently that's helping you out a lot? Uh,
2: I believe in every year of my life, I should try to do a really hard thing. And a scary thing. So, I guess that's what really I think people should start doing is doing hard things. This year, I started doing stand up for the first time. I tell funny stories all the time, but the obligation to be funny has never been something that's been on me. I can tell a funny story, but if nobody laughs, I'm still telling a story and I'm still going to end in a heartfelt moment. So, for the first time in my life, I've gone on stages with the express purpose of being funny. And it's awful. Um, It's scary and it's hard. And even when I'm really funny, I don't enjoy it as much because when I tell a story, that story oftentimes lodges itself in people's hearts. They can retell the story the next day and they could retell the story a month from now. But if you go to a stand up show, oftentimes you think like that guy's really funny. But a month from now, you can't really remember a single thing he said. You just remember he was funny. And I don't like that. So I'm trying to do something hard every year, and that's the hard thing I'm doing this year. And I think as long as I continue to push forward and find things that I think might be valuable but scare the hell out of me, that's, what, that's often resulting in the, in the best rewards for me.
0: What are you learning through doing stand-up right now?
2: Uh, well, the first thing I learned was that, wait, unless you can find a way to not have to get a joke every 20 seconds, it's really hard to like share truth about yourself. You know, I hear people on stage, they say, so I was talking to my girlfriend the other night, and now I know, oh, you weren't talking to your girlfriend. Like, a friend of yours was talking to his girlfriend seven years ago, and he told you this little story that you've now made your own story, and you're implying it happened just the other day. So I've learned I kind of don't love it as much for in that regard, but I have also learned um I'm not often nervous on stage. In fact, I'm never nervous when I'm telling a story on stage. I've been standing in front of 2,000 people and I'm not nervous. This is the first time in my life I've been nervous on stage. And I've discovered that when I'm nervous, I talk fast. Even though I have to fill five minutes and it's hard to fill five minutes, I'm talking fast. So the whole time I'm saying, why are you talking fast? Because you're going to run out of material and then you're going to be stuck. Why are you talking fast? So I've learned to breathe on stage. I've learned that in moments of nervousness, the thing I can teach people, because I'm always teaching storytelling, and they're always nervous, I teach them to slow down. I teach them to breathe. I teach them about the power of silence, something that I've always understood naturally in storytelling, but didn't really understand, you know, in an objective way until I began doing stand-up.
1: How do you learn best? Um,
2: I guess I learn best through listening.
1: I'm an auditory learner.
2: I don't remember anything that I see. My wife says if we line up 10 brunettes, I won't be able to pick her out of the lineup. That's not true, but there is truth in what she says. Uh, I've just never been a person like, I often say, I don't know what I'm wearing unless I look down and see what I'm wearing, and that's also kind of true. So things like podcasts are tremendous for me, because if I hear something, it stays in my brain. Um, And I learn through doing. You know, when I'm crafting stories, the thing that I do is I speak them out loud. Always. I never sort of am working on a story in my head without also saying it out loud. I think the saying out loud part actually uses my auditory memory. I hear myself say the story and then I hear the story and then I remember the story and I can hear the problems in the story. So although I'm a big reader and I write novels, so I think everyone should read a lot, particularly my books. Uh, Reading is a wonderful thing. Um, the auditory process for me, is the best way to learn listening to people, um podcasts and audiobooks and uh, attending lectures and things like
1: that. If you could have everyone learn or everybody learn one thing, what would it be? <laughs> um, well, I guess I'm writing a
2: new book, a new nonfiction book, and it's called "Some Days Today." I think the thing I'd like people to learn is that time is very finite. You know, when I was 22, I was in an armed robbery um, at a McDonald's that I was managing. And men came in with guns and they put my head to the ground. And I couldn't open the safe. It was one of those, the manager can't open the safe. And they didn't believe me. So they told me they were going to shoot me in the head. And then they put the gun to the back of my head and pulled the trigger on an empty gun. But it was a moment when I thought I was going to die. I was 100% certain that this was the last moment of my life. And although it, it resulted in PTSD for more than 15 years. And the fact that I was just able to say that to you is sort of a miracle because I could never speak those words for a very long time. It was a bit of a gift as well because I am so aggressive with my time ever since that moment. In a lot of ways, I'm still lying on that floor, I say. like I'm, I'm still on that greasy floor aware of the fact that I'm about to die at all times. I think people tell me like someday I'm going to write a book, someday I'm going to tell a story, and those some days never come. Eventually, the one someday we have for sure is someday we're going to die. And I think that is the someday that most people run into in the end, is they die. And all those other things they wanted to do someday end up left undone. You know, I met an 87-year-old woman once at a nursing home when I was doing a talk for one of my novels. And she came up to me and she said, someday I'm going to write a book just like you. And I said, how old are you? And she said, 87. And I said, you better start writing because you're going to die soon. (laughs) And my wife was next to me. She hit me. She's like, "You can't say that." But that was twelve years ago. So that woman now is ninety-nine, which means she's probably dead. And I know she didn't write the book. Her someday ended up being death. That was what. That's what she ended up with. So the lesson I want people to learn is that someday is today. If you're saying that someday you're going to do something, it's never going to happen unless you make it now. Unless you start doing hard, challenging you know, dream-like things now, you're never going to get to it. Uh, All you have to do is go online and research what hospice workers talk about. In people's final moments, they they ask these people who are dying, what are your greatest regrets? And they're all the same. They're all, I didn't spend enough time with my family. I didn't chase my dreams. I settled too quickly. I didn't travel enough. People die all the time with these regrets, and I just don't want anyone to do that. So, but the lesson is someday is today. Like, get started now. If you don't, it's fine. You're just a terrible human being, who, and you're letting yourself down. You're letting the world down. Um, if you're comfortable with being a terrible human being who will die with regret someday, that's fine. But if you're not, I think you should start taking action right away.
0: Well, Matt, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. If people want to continue to learn from you, if they want to pick up your book, Story Worthy, where's the best place for them to do that?
2: They can pick up the book anywhere books are sold, Amazon or any of the bookstores. Um, They can find me at MatthewDix.com. I've got my blog there that you talked about so you can see what I'm writing every day. And my wife and I just launched a podcast on storytelling. We've been producing shows in here in Connecticut for the last five years and recording those stories. So now each week we air one of those stories and we provide lessons after the story, talking about what the storyteller did well and what could be improved upon in the story. So it's entertaining with some instruction at the end. And that podcast is Speak Up
0: Storytelling. Awesome. I'm going to have to check that out. Cool. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Matt. Thank you. I really appreciate it, guys. It's been a lot of fun. So, Todd, really great conversation. Lots of practical stuff. What's one thing that you're going to take from our conversation and apply it
1: to your storytelling abilities? So, Matt and I are going to create a patent for a belting system for storytellers. That was one of my takeaways. Um white belt through ninja level okay maybe that's not my takeaway Um, my real takeaway is that I think I think that I think of stories in a very different way than he does in that I've always thought of them as I'm trying to tell a story in the story it it tells it, it kind of gives the point and I want to make sure and and kind of say what that point is like I do that every weekend with children you know I'm telling them what the bottom line is in the story that I tell he really in that conversation I don't know I might start shying away from doing that um, as much as explicitly I think as I do now um, and really work on telling the story in such a way that you understand the point better um, maybe I won't totally stop doing that That was one of the big takeaways for me was telling stories in such a way that you don't have to come out and say this is what it is that we are um, that I'm trying to communicate another thing that I took away um, from from that conversation is I don't know if it was something he said but it was something that that I took out of it which is listening the power of listening um which we've talked about that I think before on this show but
0: it's a major theme of the show
1: it's it yeah and it's it's fascinating to hear you know how to construct something so that a person will hear it a certain way it just was very interesting I learned a lot from that what was do you have a takeaway are you fall asleep over there.
0: I'm not falling asleep.
1: Um, I mean, one of the things that
0: just really stood out to me is, as you were saying, with that first takeaway of yours, and I feel like we do that with each other. And I feel like we try to do that a lot with the people. And even just on this podcast of here's what I'm learning. And if mm-hmm. it helps you, great. But here's what I'm learning right now. To me, it really is just a posture of humility. And I don't get it right Every time, but it's just sharing here's what's going on in my life. Here are the things that I'm learning about. And if you want to learn from them too, you can learn from them as well. I like that. Now, we have a great episode for you next week. We were talking with Stu Heineke, and Stu wrote a book called How to Get a Meeting with Anyone and it's a fina- it's a fascinating book he talks a lot about how to reach out to people how to get meetings with people who you may not normally get meeting with and he has a very unique approach that he talks about that he just recently learned about which is absolutely fascinating and so the best way to make sure that you don't miss that next episode is by subscribing to our podcast on whatever podcast player you use whether it's Google Play, Stitcher,
1: overcast or Apple podcasts, whatever it may be subscribe to the podcast or just finding us on, on Facebook or whatever, following the link there. However you find us
0: just as Do long it. as you find us and subscribe. Also
1: let us know what you're learning about
0: right now. Leave us a rating, write a review right in there. Hey, here's my favorite episode here. Are the topics that I like to learn about. Some of you may think that it takes a long time. It literally can take less than 60 seconds on apple podcasts and so it's the best way that you can help us to help us spread some of these types of conversations that we have and all the things that we're learning about as well and we would appreciate it a ton thank you so much for listening to today's podcast my name is caleb mason
1: and my name is todd Ixenball. And until
0: next time keep learning and keep growing
1: deuces y'all